Welcome to the latest episode of APPA's Public Power Now podcast. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APPA. Our guest on this episode is Rich Dewey, President and CEO of the New York Independent System Operator. Rich, thanks for joining us today. Paul, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. So, Rich, just to get our conversation started, I want to talk about renewables in relation to the New York ISO. Uh, as you know, in late March, uh, the grid operator reported the addition of about 750 megawatts of new behind-the-meter solar facilities over the past year, helped the state to set a new record for behind-the-meter solar production. And then in late 2021, NISO reported that the state set multiple new records for wind production. Um, so, so with that background, could you talk about the factors driving this dramatic growth uh, in terms of renewable energy production and how the grid operator is successfully managing the integration of renewable energy into its grid. Sure, sure. Happy to do it. Um, the primary factor right now that's driving the expansion of the development is subsidies uh, for both uh, wind and for solar. And in New York State, primarily, that's through programs that uh, NYSERDA, the New York State uh, Research and Development Authority, runs. Um, so they're driving a lot of the investment uh, in those areas. Um, we at the New York ISO are developing and, and working to develop uh, market rules such that once the initial investment is made, that those resources then can participate in the energy markets uh, and, and the capacity markets, quite honestly. Uh, so it provides an additional revenue stream, uh, provides uh, a little bit more control from a grid operation standpoint, uh, which is important when you start thinking about renewables, and it helps offset some of the revenue requirements that primarily come from uh, from those state subsidies. Um, when you think about what it takes to operate uh, a grid that has a high penetration of renewables, it really comes down to forecasting being the key. Uh, we've spent tremendous uh, efforts uh, developing both a wind forecasting system and a solar forecasting system. So we can take uh, information, uh, meteorological uh, weather information, we can uh, map that to our models that indicate where on the grid these resources are located. And then we can use some projections uh, to make sure that we've got the right kind of resources available uh, to backstop the uh, the intermittents when, uh, uh, you know, when a cloud comes over and, and, and shunts the uh, uh, the solar production or when the wind dies down and the wind is not there. So uh, it really comes down into having a really good forecasting system and having the right kind of market signals so that it incentivizes the behavior that we want from these types of resources. So uh, another hot topic I want to ask you about is transmission. Um, yeah, obviously, you saw the news that FERC recently issued a notice of proposed rulemaking um, related to transmission. Um, so um, in terms of this topic as it relates to New York ISO, could you talk about what role um, the grid operator plays in relation to the development of new transmission projects in the state to accommodate the growth of such things as renewables, uh, easing transmission congestion and bolstering reliability? Sure, absolutely. And transmission is something that's near and dear to our heart at the uh, at the New York ISO. Um, you know, we recognize that the infrastructure, uh, the transmission infrastructure in New York is somewhat of a fragile system. And when you start thinking about the types of additions that are going to be needed for New York State to hit the uh, renewable production goals and the carbon-free goals, um, we're going to need significant more transmission to be able to move power around the state to get it from where those projects are going to be sited to where the load centers are, primarily in New York, uh, New York State. 
City. Um, New York ISO, we've got three different ways that we can incentivize transmission production. Uh, first is based on our reliability planning process. So we go through every two years and we do a, a reliability needs assessment and we look out 10 years and we, uh, with the best available information, project and predict where on the system we might have needs that would prohibit us from achieving our reliability goals, identify those needs and then seek solutions. Uh, very frequently, those solutions are transmission solutions that improve reliability. The second mechanism we have uh, is our public planning, uh, public policy uh, transmission planning process. And here is where we partner with New York State and for the interests and purpose of um, uh, advancing New York's uh, energy goals, um, New York State Government, the Public Service Commission, can declare a public policy need. And then through FERC Order 1000, uh, the New York ISO can then solicit uh, developer projects, uh, award those projects, and then ultimately see them through to, uh, to completion. In, in New York State, we have been the, the shining example for how FERC Order 1000 public policy transmission can work. Uh, we've got three successful projects and various states stages of, of development and construction, one out in Western New York that uh, achieves, uh, 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 maximizes the uh, output of the hydro resources from both the Niagara power plant, as well as increases the amount of clean energy imports we can get from Ontario. Uh, there's the AC transmission project, which is upgrading that corridor um, uh, from Utica, New York, over to Albany, and then down into the lower Hudson Valley. Both those projects are under construction right now. And we've also just initiated uh, a, a solicitation in Long Island to upgrade the Long Island transmission system with an eye towards uh, maximizing the amount of offshore wind delivery that we can take into the island's uh, infrastructure and then move that to New York City. So that's uh, that's uh, yielded some pretty successful results. And then the third area is just economic transmission. So we do studies where we look out and we're about to publish our newest economic planning process where we're going to look out 20 years and we're going to identify what the most likely mix of resources are going to be on the system. And then we can do some production cost analysis to highlight those areas where economic transmission construction or potentially merchant uh, transmission construction um, you know, could play Play a role and help achieve the goals. So those three areas are really important. Our planning team uh, has been doing a phenomenal job uh, getting that information out in the public domain and uh, through our partnerships with New York State. Uh, you know, we've uh, I'm happy to say we've made some some initial strides, but there's a lot more work to do. So you uh, you touched upon reliability, um, and um, you know, as you know, um, in December of last year, NISO um, produced a comprehensive reliability plan. So I'd be interested if for you to provide our listeners um, with your thoughts in terms of what are the key takeaways of the plan. Sure. Yeah. So the reliability, uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, the reliability planning process looks out 10 years and identifies reliability needs. Um, we're very happy that in the 10 year window that the current uh, comprehensive reliability plan analyzed, there were no needs on the bulk system uh, out uh, into, uh, you know, that 10 year horizon. Um, but one of the things which is really important to note, um, we have had the luxury in New York of a surplus of generation, a surplus of supply uh, for the last uh, you know really couple decades um, a lot of that is uh, based on the economic drivers and the incentives that are in place within New York and some of that is driven by New York State's uh, uh, really aggressive and rigid uh, reliability rules uh, so the strictest in the nation quite honestly um, one of the things we identified is 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 
confirm that we don't have a need. But with the retirement of a lot of the supply that we've seen, so Indian Point uh, uh, nuclear power plant retired, um, all of the coal uh, plants that were out in Western New York uh, uh, retired to comply with new emissions rules. And then starting in 2023 and continuing in 2025, uh, the old gas peaker units, predominantly in New York City and Long Island, are scheduled to retire uh, in order to comply with the DEC's uh, ozone emission rules. Um, so we've mapped uh, and modeled those planned retirements into the system. And one of the key points to bring out is that the surplus that we've enjoyed for years and operated to is almost non-existent uh, as you get out past 2025. So it's really right on the razor's edge of reliability. And from a grid operator standpoint, you know, you don't want to operate the system that close to the reliability criteria. Um, and, uh, and, and we're concerned about that. Some of the things which we are aware of that we think will help it is some of the new additions that are planned. So offshore wind uh, promises to deliver a higher capacity factor than the onshore wind. Um, there are some uh, NYSERDA projects that are uh, uh, have awarded contracts that are planning to build uh, internal controllable DC lines right into New York City. So from a reliability standpoint, when those projects are done, that will offset some of the uh, you know some of the deficiencies that we identified uh, through the retirements. Um, but we're really concerned and, and what we're encouraging New York to do, uh, New York state government, is really pay attention to the planned additions and and not um, not prematurely retire some of the legacy systems until we're certain that the construction for these new resources uh, is moving along and that it delivers like we need it to. Great. Um, I, I did have one follow up question. and. and it, it relates maybe to some of what you just talked about and perhaps even um, transmission projects. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't raise this. Um, is there anything that you guys are seeing in terms of um, you know supply chain issues that may be affecting various types of projects in the state at this point? So, so far, the transmission projects um, that I mentioned, there are public policy transmission projects. We have not. Um, but a lot of that procurement was was initiated before the pandemic. Um, we are starting to get uh, some feedback with some of the, um, you know, some of the newer development projects um, where supply chain issues are putting pressure on some of the uh, commercial operation dates. Um, don't have any real specific details in terms of the magnitude of that, but we're just starting to hear some of that. And it wouldn't surprise me a bit, um, given what you, you, you know, we see in the news and what's going on around uh, the economy. So I, I think that uh, we should probably anticipate we've got to be mindful of that. Turning to the, to the topic of the environment, um, two-part question. Um, first, what role does uh, New York ISO play in terms of ensuring that the risk of climate change is being addressed? And also, could you talk about uh, with respect to New York State's climate goals and timeline, how important would you say flexible, fast-ramping resources to the operation of the grid uh, are? What kind of uh, what's the importance of that role uh, during this transition? Sure. Yeah. So what we're doing uh, with respect to climate change, uh, we're focusing uh, tremendous resources and expertise on our modeling, forecasting, specifically our load, uh, our load modeling tools and capabilities. That's really where you see the impact from a power system operations standpoint of climate change. You know, some of these severe weather events um, that are increasingly happening uh, around the country and the world, uh, making sure that we've got adequate and sufficient um, 
scenario planning done in those load forecasts um, because the load is is driven not only by by weather it's also driven by the economy uh, we also do um, economic uh, forecasting and integration of economic forecasting into our load forecasts um, that's the most important valuable thing that we can do uh, I think to be mindful of the impact of climate change on our system making sure that we get that right if you get the load forecast right and you get the projections right um, then all the other decisions you need to make after the fact is is really just looking at the options you have and the tools that you have um, and you know from a standpoint of you know the second part of your question you know how important are flexible fast ramping resources they're critical um, when you think about uh, the challenges of operating a grid um, that has a high degree of intermittency uh, uh, intermittent resources on that. So right right now, you know, for example, we got a. Uh, it, it's in the summertime. We're a, a thirty to thirty four thousand megawatt system at the peak. Right now, we've got two thousand megawatts of wind. Um, we're projected to have upwards of ten fifteen thousand megawatts of wind on the system um, as these climate goals are are uh, are addressed. And uh, when you think about um, the types of resources you're going to need to have when the wind dies down quickly or the solar ramps down quickly. Um, um, having those resources that can respond immediately, uh, number one, are critical to reliability. But number two, um, it's actually beneficial to the further development of, of wind and solar resources. Just knowing that you're going to have the, uh, you know, the, the resources to be able to backstop that when they're not performing um, gives you the ability to make further investment and deeper investment with those types of resources. So it's really a compatible situation that, uh, um, you know, that, that the whole system benefits. And and just a quick follow-up. So, so yeah, in the context of the forecast for the uh, the jump in terms of, uh, for example, uh, wind coming online. What about um, one thing I thought about just now is um, the role of, of energy storage in in relation to the successful integration of those resources. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, energy storage, uh, uh, you know, offers tremendous value uh, to be able to uh, complement the wind and the solar resources, and uh, and it's you know it's it's fittingly part of New York State's goals, and we recognize how important it is. So you know what we need to get right is get it cited in the right locations um, so that it can uh, address uh, local issues, and and that's been a challenge in some of the urban areas. Um, and also the duration of that storage is really important. You know, some of the modeling that we've that we've uh, done um, and some of the real practical uh, data that we can look at from the existing system is when the wind lulls happen, you know, it's usually not just for two hours or four hours. Sometimes it's as much as 12 to 15 hours um, where we've seen patterns of uh, little to no wind. So when you start thinking about energy storage, you know, a lot of the technology that's available today is is really focusing on that shorter duration storage, um, you know, two or four hours with the biggest ones that, you know, that are that are uh, being contemplated right now from a, at scale are eight hours. Uh, so really technology uh, innovation, uh, thinking about uh, research and development to really extend the capabilities of energy storage is going to be important uh, in order for us to integrate that level of renewables that it's going to take to hit the goals. Um, and so, Rich, uh, thanks again for for taking the time out of your day to to uh, participate in this podcast. Um, and as a concluding uh, question, I wanted to get your uh, your comments in terms of your long term goals uh, that you want to achieve as president and CEO of New York ISO. 
Sure. Yeah, no, I, it's, uh, it, it's one of the most exciting times uh, to be in this industry right now. I think that I tell all the, the young kids coming out of school uh, that come to work for us, you know, this is not your father's utility. This is, you know, this is about as exciting a time. And the work that we're doing is critically important, uh, not only to the economy, but also to, uh, uh, to the climate. Um, one of the things which I think um, everyone will recognize is when the New York ISO was started up 20 years ago and uh, through a partnership with New York State and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, we created these energy markets that were intended to maximize consumer value by using a, you know, the power of competition to drive down commodity costs. Um, there really wasn't anything in the initial design that targeted emissions or, or climate goals or clean energy. And, uh, and that's something that we've been working hard to make sure that we can, in a productive, valuable way, use these tools to help New York State achieve its goals. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a very subtle but notable change uh, in our most recent strategic planning process. Um, our board of directors acknowledged that we have a role to play in helping New York achieve its you know clean energy future and um you know what i want to do is i want to you know i want these markets to be able to evolve i want to be able to use the power of these markets uh, to be able to drive the right kind of investment that maximizes reliability in a clean energy scenario so uh, you know we're invested in new york state achieving these goals we're new yorkers and uh and and we want to be helpful and we want to be uh we want to be part of the solution and uh uh and so far it's been a great partnership so i uh, i look forward for uh, you know continued uh uh continued collaboration between our state partners and the new york iso and you alluded to at the start of your um remarks in this in response to this last question um the idea of you know workers in relation to new york iso just just curious any um you know, in the context of what what everyone is is calling the Great Resignation and and any other kind of workforce challenges, any anything um, that you could talk about in terms of what the grid operator is doing in that area. Yeah, I think we're recognizing that the workforce of today has very different needs, wants, and demands uh, from the workforce of 10 years ago. Um, you know, people want flexibility, they want access to technology, they want access to a learning environment that they can, uh, you know, that they can continue to to sharpen their skills and expand their careers. And uh, and we've recognized that if we're going to uh, attract the top talent that we need at the New York ISO to achieve our mission, uh, we've got to be able to offer that flexibility and those capabilities. And and we have. Responded, um, you know, it's it's a tough, it, it, it's a it's a challenging job market out there right now. I think a lot of companies are feeling the pinch um, coming out of the pandemic, and uh, we've had to make some adjustments. But uh, uh, so far, I'm I'm, I'm I couldn't be more happy with the with the types of talent that we're attracting, and uh, it's an exciting place to work. And I think uh, we just got to tell our story and make sure that people understand that uh, when you come to the work at the New York ISO, it's not just interesting; it's important. Great, Rich. Well, thanks for a, a very illuminating conversation today. Um, love to extend an open invitation to you to return maybe a year or so from now to kind of obviously we touch, touch a lot of different topics today that seem right for revisiting uh, at some point in the future. So perhaps we could have you back uh, if, if, if that sounds good to you. Um, so thanks again. We really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, Paul. I would absolutely love to come back. Uh, I always, always appreciate being able to tell about the good work at the New York ISO and, uh, uh, and everything that, we's going, that we have going on. So thanks for the opportunity, and uh, I appreciate the questions. Sure thing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now. 
Public Power Now comes to you from the American Public Power Association, produced by APPA Digital Content Director David Blaylock. I'm Paul Schimpoli, and we'll be back next week with more from the world of public power and the broader energy industry.